this is going to be a little bit of a different service. You're going to hear from other people as much as you're going to hear from me today. How's that? It's going to be fun. We just got back from vacation, and we had a great time. We went to the Upper Peninsula to meet uh, Wendy's brother for his fi- to celebrate his 50th birthday with his family and got to spend some time swimming around a sunken schooner from the 1800s in Lake Michigan. And then we capped it off uh, on Friday by going to Cedar Point for the first time. Anybody gone from 0 to 120 in 3.8 seconds before? <laughs> I did it on a full stomach, and it actually survived. It was a lot of fun. So, but we're going to celebrate some stuff today, and, 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 and here's, here's kind of a setup. It's because it's just such a different Sunday. It just feels different to me. I want to kind of set it up for you. We're going to talk about some stuff that's very important to who we are at Quest. You hear it a lot, but we're going to spend some more time talking about some of this today. And if you're here today and you're new, uh, here's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear who we are and what we're trying to become. And you're going to also, if you're here and you're, you're not even sure about your faith, uh, pay particular attention because I think you're going to hear something different than what you've heard many times throughout your life about what it means to come to faith in Christ and how we want to relate to you and bless your life. Uh, so those are the, the takeaways that I think you can have. And what we're going to celebrate today is also something that many of us feel like is under attack uh, in our culture as well. But I'm going to submit to you today that it's under attack in a different way than what we think. When I say to you, uh, if you are a follower of Christ and you're a member here at Quest or a tender here at Quest, when I say to you, God wants you to be a witness, to bring people to faith in Him, what's the first feeling and the first thoughts that come to mind? When I say God wants you to be a witness, what are the first thoughts that come to mind? Now, for most of my life, for me, the thought that came to mind was, ugh, that means I'm going to have difficult conversations with people, I'm going to feel out of my league with difficult questions, I'm going to end up probably in arguments and people getting angry at me at times, and, and that's the way we tend to look at that. But Jesus says this in Matthew, Mark 9:39. he says, He who is not against us is for us. He who is not against us is for us. In other words, what he's saying is whoever's not overtly really antagonistic towards you is really for you, really a friend. And I think that so oftentimes when we think about witnessing or we think about our faith or we think about faith conversations with people, we tend to think of the antagonistic side of it, the argumentative side of it, and we tend to read that statement by Jesus, the opposite of what he actually says, and we say, anyone who is not for us is against us. And it's not just a faith issue that, that, that this involves, this whole per- paradigm of life. It's in our politics, right? It's in the politics at the office. It's in the politics in the government. Whoever's not for us is against us. John Fisher uh, writes a, a blog that I, that I subscribe to called The Catch. And he says this. He says, I think as Christians in this culture, we have made a lot of enemies we didn't have to make. We have drawn lines in the sand that, there, that were not there in the first place and accused people who were already before we drew the line standing on the other side of, of the crime of being over there and not ever really giving them a chance. It's almost as if we have had to create and maintain a good supply of enemies in order to fulfill the self-proclaimed animosity with the world that incorrectly defines us 
as Christians in the church. Yet Fisher goes on to say, this is not a good way to behave when representing the God of second chances, the God who, if he had not been abundantly gracious, would never have called us his friends and would never have given us even a first chance. He concludes with this statement. He says, I think it's best to approach life assuming that there are lots of friends of God out there just waiting to be found. When you think of being a witness... Do you think and make the assumption that people are going to be antagonistic, that it's going to be argumentative, that it's going to be difficult conversation, that people don't want to have a vital relationship with God and they're going to resist? Or do you make the assumption that people are going to be friends? You see, in Jesus' day and all throughout history, other religious leaders and churches maybe that we've grown up in have, have assumed that people would be enemies. In Jesus' day, they talked about Jesus in this way. They said the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled about him, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And, and it was this antagonistic, they're there and we're here and there's distance between us. And it's this, it's this tension that they continually highlighted in their approach to con- getting people to believe and have a vital faith. And yet Jesus and the Apostle Paul and so many others in the New Testament treated people as friends. They treated even enemies as friends. In fact, we see stories of Paul with like King Agrippa and Acts and other places where these people who were antagonistic towards the gospel, he made the assumption that they could be potential friends and he treated them that way and they became friends. Even if they didn't become faith followers, they became more friendly and friends. It's so easy to assume antagonism. It's so easy to draw lines and say people are different than us when they're really not that different, have different agendas, different hearts, different desires. But Jesus and Paul demonstrated to us that the kindness of God is not reserved for those people who agree or those people whose lives are put together. But the kindness of God is abundantly given to people who disagree, who doubt, who question. When we talk about friends with faith, which is a term we use a lot at Quest, and that's what we're talking about today, we use it from many different perspectives. We use the idea that if we're going to live life as friends with faith, which we say is our goal, that that means that that has something to say about how we care for one another when we're here and why, how we do relationship and life together. It also has something to do with uh, the fact that friends are real with each other. And if we're going to live life as friends with faith, we talk about it from the perspective that, that you've got to be real. You've got to be able to be willing to show your stuff, your garbage, your good stuff, your success with somebody because that's what friends do. They trust each other. And they go through life living that way with each other and finding support and joy and, and, and comfort and, and challenge. We also talk about living friends with faith from the idea of living purpose. You know, so many of us want to discover our purpose in life and we think it's all about us, but the reality is purpose means we're making an impact on others. And purpose has to do with the people in our relationships and around us. Sometimes our purpose is discovered by who we marry or partially discovered by who we marry or the friends we work with or the friends in our family. And, and, and so living life as friends with faith means we do and we serve together and we make a difference in people's lives together and we discover that purpose together. And how we relate 
to seekers, people who don't yet believe or people who are religious and, and think of the gospel as rules rather than a relationship, how we relate in those avenues is also a major part of what we talk about and what we're going to spend most of our time talking about today when it comes to friends with faith. It's so easy to assume antagonism. If Wendy could come, is she here? This is my wife. She agreed to share a, a testimony this morning about three minutes before service started. So we've been talking about it for a couple days, but she wasn't sure. But, but, but she has a beautiful story that, that we can, we'll only describe briefly, but if you really looked at it and the people that she's going to describe, there was so much difference. There was every reason to believe that there would be antagonism in the relationship. And would you just describe your, your group and your friends? I, I just think it's always surprising how God puts you in a group of certain people. And this group was my workout people that you start working out with. And from the comments that they were making, I knew that they were antagonistic toward most everything that I revere. So I'm like, oh, these are going to be some fun workouts, I'm sure. And, um, but as time, you know, we got to know each other for you know, several years. And then that process of getting to know each other, they came to be some of the best gifts I've ever had of friendship. And um, even though we were so polar opposite in so many ways, um, it was just fun to do life together. Um, and so as we progressed in our relationship, because at first I didn't share much about who I was or what I did. Um, like I told him I taught at a college. I never said it was a Christian college. I didn't tell what my husband did with working with churches. I just said he was a consultant. And as trust developed and they got to, you know, lay some of the stereotypes that they may have had of me, we got to share more and more. And um, we got to share about, you know, our lives. And um, it, one of the examples where we got to have a faith discussion was, um, uh, I had been praying over one of my kids, and I was in a doctor's office, and I saw this quote. And it just resonated in me that that was a prayer focus, that God wanted me to pray for my son. And so I had spent the last year praying over that quote and some other scriptures, and I had shared it with Ross. And so one of my uh, swim team buddies, my workout buddies, um, I was talking to her about some of the concerns I had about my son, and and lickety-split, she shared that same quote that I'd been praying for a year. And it made it so clear some of the choices and decisions I needed to make for my son. And um, I said, oh, my goodness, Elizabeth, God just spoke through you. And she's like, oh, Wendy, please. I'm an atheist, and you know who I am, and you know what I do, which if you knew. <laughs> um, I said, no, God really, I really was touched. I think God really spoke through you. And those were just some of the fun examples of her um, and us as a team getting to know um, how to do life together. And if you really know, if you really knew the background of Elizabeth, you would go, wow. But the interesting thing is, it could have been so antagonistic. You would walk, literally, if you would see these people and hear them talk for five minutes, you would go, you have nothing in common in worldview or values or beliefs and every reason to fight. And yet, when we left uh, Eugene to move here a couple of years ago, they were the ones who threw multiple parties and just loved on Wendy, and, and it was amazing relationship, amazing friendship. And God does those kinds of things. You know, we were, we were Wendy and I were at dinner uh, a week, couple weeks ago with Roger and Beth Miller. Roger just transitioned off our board because of some changes in his life. Uh, but they, both of them have been key influences in, in shaping Quest and who it is. 
And as we were sitting at dinner, they shared this story with us that I want you to hear on video about what living life as friends with faith is about when there's pain and disagreement that could so easily destroy relationship. And would you just listen? to take a few minutes this morning to tell you about Glenn, someone that none of you would know from the Cleveland area back when uh, we were younger, and it all really started with uh, my wife and his wife. Um, a number of years ago, we lived in Cleveland, Ohio, and um, we had um, a church that we attended um, with some wonderful young couples in about our age range at the time. We all had little kids growing up and stuff. This lady showed up one day, her name was Mary King. And uh, it was unusual in that she was single because everybody else was couples in there. Um, we tried to befriend her. Um, she seemed very, very nice and, and was. After a, a period of well, probably a couple of weeks or so, she just really um, endeared herself to us and I guess felt safe enough that she could share with us about her life. She was going through a really difficult time. It was, um, she was separated from her husband. Although they were still living together, they were separating to divorce eventually. The thing that amazed us about Mary King, she was so wonderfully gracious toward this man that had, um, he had had an, an affair with a coworker, which was the genesis of their separation. We realized after getting to know her a little bit that her husband had a, a hobby in common with, uh, with a, those guys in that group, and it was running. And uh, I said to her, what about if, you know, the guys got together for runs? They were all training for a marathon at the time, and Glenn, we heard, was a really good runner, and Roger was a really fast runner, so she's like, well, he doesn't just run with anybody, and, and uh, so anyway, we decided to extend that invitation. Yeah, and, and he was also a, a businessman, and kind of in a unique category, and uh, of course, we didn't know these people at all, but you could immediately understand what a difficult situation it would have to be and uh, there just didn't seem to be anything in common. We had a good marriage, a great family at the time, uh, so we were sympathetic. Thought we'd see what we could do. I suggested to Roger, maybe we should, you should invite him to join you for a run, because they train for marathons, you gotta run for hours at a time. Um, and Glenn was a very, very good runner, and Roger happened to be a really good runner, so, meaning fast. So you can't find that many partners to, that they're compatible with. So um, we approached uh, Mary King about the, that possibility and she was like I don't know you know you guys go to church and he he doesn't have faith he doesn't share faith in God that we do um, and we're like doesn't matter you know just run that's all and so she asked him and he reluctantly suggested that he might join them one probably Saturday morning I don't remember which um, exactly but Glenn decided to, to join them for a run Glenn was like a lot of other people I knew in business. He was proud, he was quiet, he was reserved, and he wasn't going to share much of anything that made him look like anything other than superhuman. So it was the beginning of a relationship. We started spending hours together uh, running. He found out that uh, for the first time in his life, there were people out there that were faster than him. It made quite a challenge for him. <laughs> and, beginning of what turned out to be an interesting couple years. I suggested to Mary King that um, uh, they come over for a cookout afterwards. She said, I don't know, you know, she knows you guys are church people and he might be afraid you're going to ambush him or something. And we're like, no, it's just hot dogs, you know, and, and we're not going to do that. 
So he reluctantly came, and that was an interesting evening. He sat kind of quietly in the corner, just kind of smug, you know, and like he wasn't really engaged and all that. But he was very much tracking with us, and we just wanted to be his friend. But as time developed, uh, it, it was interesting in that he became one of my biggest fans, which I wasn't expecting. When I went to Boston, he, he was on the phone calling me, trying to find out everything he could about what was going on. And then when we moved to Columbus, uh, he came down here and still wanted to hang out a little bit. Never anything emotional. You would never think we were making progress in a Christian relationship, but God knew better. He came down one weekend um, for a, a, a conference where the guest speaker was a sports guy. Um, uh, Pat Williams, general manager of NBA basketball team. And um, he, he had obviously God had been working in his life because he was talking more and more about God, but kind of dancing around the whole issue. And we were never, you know, confronting or, or anything like that. But he, uh, when he came down for the conference, he called and said he'd like to get together with Roger to go running. And of course, Roger was more than happy to do that. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't know what to do. Uh, God does know what to do. I was just being myself and trying to respect this individual. But as he was running with me, we were talking, and he was fired up. Pat had said some things that were very important and very encouraging. But it was still all human. It was all very nice things, all this, all that, but it really didn't cut to the heart of it, so I did. I asked him when the time in his life was gonna come, when we just kept pretending that everything was fine and the words that Pat said were only for other people and not for him. And it was over. I, I knew they were gonna be gone a certain amount of time. It seemed like they were gone a little longer than they had it talked about being gone, and I, we lived in the country, on a, um, out in the country, on a uh, kind of a, a gravel road, and uh, it was a very hot day, I remember, and I looked out, and I saw them walking up the road together with their arms around each other, and it looked like they were crying, and I thought, what in the world? And uh, they got to the door, and Glenn just looked at me with tears streaming down his face and said, I did it. And uh, I, I knew what he meant by that. He had, he had surrendered his life to Jesus right there on the, on the road. He, he stopped, he broke down. And God changed his life right there. It was fantastic. It was a Damascus Road experience. Yeah. And at that point in time, he said, what do I do? And I said, well, Jesus is here. Why don't you just talk to him? And he knew exactly what to do. I went immediately over to the, to the stereo and turned on a song by a group called Glad, called Be Ye Glad, which was a song that we had sort of, in our prayers for Glenn, that, was, that song just summarized everything that we wanted for him. And there's a part in it that goes, be glad, be glad. Every sin that you ever had has been paid up in full by the grace of the Lord. Be glad, be glad. Three of us just stood there with our arms around each other, sweat, tears, and God just, we had a front row seat for a miracle, and God just took that man's life, healed their marriage, and he became a leader in the church, an elder, and it just it's just an amazing, amazing what he did, and that God can use things as mundane as, as running um, to, to, to draw people to himself.
Can you imagine the multitude of opportunities for that relationship to go haywire, for disagreement and argument to come in that would sever that relationship? Some of you probably can because you've probably lived similar circumstances. You know, but this whole thing of friends with faith is learning to be, have relationship above the differences. Learning to be faithful to relationship above the difference. And did you sense... Did you sense in what they said the joy at the conclusion? When we sat with Roger and Beth at dinner and they shared, us, shared this story with us the first time, at the end of it, their, their eyes were misting with tears of joy. This is something that happened decades ago. Decades ago. And it still brings that kind of joy to their life. And here's the point. Jesus says this in Luke 15:10. He says, "In the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents and comes to faith in Christ." And the picture there in the in the original language is this picture of this all-out party. You know, if we want to find joy in our faith, this has to be part of it. Because this is the focus of God's joy. He throws parties for people coming to faith. His whole purpose to come, his whole main pursuit is to come and show us that he loves us, that he accepts us, that he forgives us, and that he's there to restore wholeness in our lives from even the most broken of situations. And so, so many of us go through our faith and we, and we wonder sometimes why our joy meter is a little low in our faith. And, and the reality is, unless we join him in his mission, the very essence of why he came, unless we're willing to, to experiment and, and allow the joy of God to show up in our relationships so that other people can come to faith because of our friendship with them, not because of our salesmanship, we shouldn't sell anybody. God can sell himself. Then we'll never fully experience the joy, and we can fully expect to have our lives and our spiritual lives feel somewhat stagnant if we're not willing to join them in that. So how do I become an effective witness? You know, our invitation that we make to people is not to debate. It's not to me as an expert. It, it's the same invitation Jesus made to his followers. He just said simply, follow me. Follow me. Come do life with me. Come seek the goodness of God with me. Can we discover it together, regardless of where we're at? And, and Jesus demonstrated this in his, in his disciples. He didn't, he didn't ask them to believe. He said, follow me. Now, now he did ask questions of belief of them eventually. He would, he would every now and then, if you read the Gospels, he would, every now and then he would say, who do you think I am? Or what do you believe about me? Or what do you believe about faith? Or what do you believe about healing or miracles? Or he'd ask the questions of faith, like, like in, uh, in, in John 1, 49 through 51, there's this story of Jesus interacting with Nathaniel, and, and there's this God encounter where Nathaniel realizes this is something that Jesus knows about me that he could not know unless God showed it to him. And, and we see him interacting with Jesus and saying, wow, you must be this awesome prophet, maybe even the Messiah. And Jesus says, oh, you believe because of this little thing? You'll believe because you'll see so much more. And, and every time Jesus interacts around these questions of belief, it's not trying to sell them. It's trying to, in a sense, pulse them and say, what do you think? Where are you at? Honestly, be real with me. Kind of like Roger said to the guy, he said, when are you going to talk about the real issues? What's really going on? 
and just inviting them to be honest with us. And then he always follows it up with this question or this invitation to go deeper in the faith and to, to continue to follow him. We see it as well in Matthew 16 and verses 15 through 17 where, where he asks the question explicitly. He says, but what about you, talking to his disciples? He says, who do you say I am? Because there were lots of people with his ministry saying, oh, he's this or this, he's good, he's bad, he's awful, he's great, he's, he's a prophet, he's not. I mean, there was lots of stuff going on. And, and Simon Peter makes this famous statement. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? And can you imagine being in, in, in Peter's shoes? He's probably saying that going, I think this is right, but I'm not sure. How many of you have ever felt like God may have spoken to you in the past or, or God may have been leading you and you kind of went, I really think this is right, but I'm really not sure. I can, can you imagine Peter saying it like that? And Jesus' response to him is just so affirming. And this is, this is how we respond. This is like Wendy responding to Elizabeth. Jesus responds to him and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. It was, it was Jesus pointing out that, yes, he indeed was truly hearing from God. Just like Wendy was pointing out to Elizabeth, God is speaking to you. Do you know his presence? Are you recognizing it for what it is? And then he goes on, if you look at the following verses, to stretch Peter again and to challenge him to continue to follow and go deeper by saying to him, Peter, okay, you believe this, but I'm going to make you the rock of this new church. You fishermen, uneducated fishermen, you're going to become the leader of this thing. So he challenges him, and then he goes and starts challenging all the disciples, saying, okay, so you may believe this, but how are you going to face it when, tr when trouble starts to come? Because I'm going to the cross. How are you going to follow me in faith then? So he's always inviting us. He's not demanding. He's not trying to sell us. He's saying, just follow me and experience me. And he challenges us to discover the treasure that's worth giving up all for. You know, it really starts out, we, we sometimes think it's so complicated, but it really, it really starts out so very simple. Kyle and Dan, if you could come on. Um, Kyle and Dan, are, we have several, several people that I know that could give this same testimony, but there's different ministries starting, there's different relationships starting that um, um, are just opportunities to build friendship. And it's not friendship for the purpose of selling anything, it's friendship for friendship's sake. And if God shows up and if God shows himself real, then we're not convincing anybody. People will just experience it. But it starts with friendship. What, tell us what you guys have been doing. So um, about this time last year, we started playing basketball in the gym. And uh, we started on Sunday afternoons. And it, was, it wasn't anything elaborate. We just wanted an, an opportunity. And, and Quest has been blessed by the resources here that have a facility where, where guys can get together and, and connect. So we just started as an opportunity for some guys to, to come together, connect, share a common bond of basketball, and, and hopefully invite other guys outside of Quest too. So, um, you know, the first, first few months we had, you know, some, some weeks it was four guys, some weeks it was five guys. So we all got a lot of exercise. But, um, you know, we, we still knew that, that God was behind it. And, and over time, you know, it's grown into something bigger, and, and um, we're playing now on Thursday nights, and um, each week there's always at least 10 guys, 12 guys, you know, even more than that that, that come and play. So um, 
you know, God, I just feel he's been laying the foundation for something bigger um, down the road. Now it's it's about playing basketball and getting to know, you know, guys that go to church here and other guys in the community. And we've probably had, um, I'd say, over 50 to 60 guys, different guys that have come, um, you know, in the past year, one time or, or another. So, uh, you know, we're hoping to use the time in the future to go, you know, deeper with guys if, you know, if, if they're ready to do that. If they're not, that that's, that's fine. But, um, you know, we want to keep that common bond of basketball there and then the ability to um, just get to know each other more and and to um, help each other in life you know break down some of those walls and talk about what it means to be you know a better person a better dad a better husband a better boyfriend you know whatever it may be so that's uh, a cool. that's background and Kyle Kyle you get you get a treat because you didn't get a chance to hear from Kyle the first service because he was uh, well actually both these guys were serving in children's ministry first service but he was serving in an area where he wasn't having to like teach content so he was able to get away and Kyle emailed me last night and, or yesterday or when, where, I don't know sometime I lose track of time in the in the last few days and asked what do I do do I come in here and do it and I said children are first and I hope that many of you uh, will make that a priority as well to serve in the children's ministry. We we need more people, and I, I think we need more guys. Uh, women, I'm glad to always have as many guy, women as possible serving in children's ministry, but we need men like these guys, like you, to serve so that our children see multiple examples of men who are honorable, who are doing their best with all their flaws to serve God and bless people. So I hope many of you will follow their example. Uh, Dan had a short story from this last week. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm sorry about that. Last uh, Thursday, <laughs> I squeak when I get He's nervous. He's going through puberty still. <laughs> um, so, anyway, last Thursday, uh, we had basketball last Thursday, and um, probably a few days before that, I had uh, done some work for a client, and I was at their house, and they had some relatives over, and uh, one of the cousins was a young guy. He was 20 years old. Really nice guy. We just started talking, um, and I just thought, I'm going to ask this guy to play basketball. He looked like he could play basketball. I was like, okay, do you want to come with us? It's at a church, and he just seemed really excited, really receptive, and um, so he needed a ride um, that night. So I went and picked him up, and uh, we started talking, and he had a really great time um, it, here as we were playing, and we got to talking on the way home about faith, and it's just amazing how God's hand was in that to where we were just talking, just casual talking, and it just started turning into like faith and stuff and things we've been through, and it was just, it was really awesome, and um, I started actually talking about uh, the worship team here, and he loves music, turns out he's a musician, and um, he might be coming here to help out if there's a spot for him, so um, it's just amazing, like in the um, the film or the short clip that we saw about running, it's just God can use anything. He uses basketball and just to bring people in, and it's really cool. So. Yeah, cool. That's Thanks, guys. Story. And you know what? They're living, a, they're living the example well. Yeah, give them a, give them a hand. <laughs> they're living the example well because it's not about friendship for the purpose of conversion. If it's that, it's tainted, and it's not right. It's not good. It's friendship 
for the sake of friendship and the fact that faith is a part of our lives, when friendship gets to the level where there's enough trust and enough honesty to be real, then it's going to be a natural part of the conversation and it's going to be a respect of each other wherever we're at in the journey because we all have to come to our own place of choice in that. You know, um, the Pharisees' ways of making converts was, and, and so much of what we were taught of making converts to the faith was to sell them, to argue them into the kingdom, to have all the answers to their questions, and to live a life that was so much better than theirs that they would want exactly what we have. And you know what? It just doesn't jive most of the time. It doesn't work most of the time. Our role as friends is to simply encourage people to seek and to figure it out for themselves and own the decision of whether God is real to them for themselves. And, you know, many of you probably feel ignorant. You feel, you, when, when you talk about witnessing, you go, oh, man, I don't know if I can do it because I'm going to get too many questions that I can't answer. And, and the reality is that, that Jesus chose common, uneducated fishermen, farmers, some businessmen, and he chose to make them the spearhead of his witnesses. He didn't choose the experts. He chose the people who were just going to live life as friends. And that's what he did with them. He modeled that with, that with them for three years. The disciples didn't come to a full level of faith for quite a while after following Jesus. They just did life with him and learned to be real about their issues as well. You know, um, one of the guys that really started to help me in this years ago is a good friend of mine named Mike. And Mike... Um, Mike, I worked with him, first met him when he was, when he was uh, planting a new church, starting a new church in Flagstaff, Arizona. And then I also worked with him when he was uh, as a, a kind of a friend and a coach when he was helping to start a church in Denver years ago. And, you know, Mike basically went in and was just real with his life. It was just amazing. He walks into this neighborhood, and, and it takes a long time to build trust. And you know, there's a fun story about him. One night, he had, nobody had been willing to talk to him. And one night, he gets invited to, uh, to fill in on their softball team because they're one short for the neighborhood softball team. And he happens to hit a home run, which he describes as the home run from God because Mike's not a big guy, and he doesn't hit home runs. But he hit a home run. And then ever after that, they started talking to him. And a few, a few months later, all of a sudden, one of the guys looks at him and says, Mike, my wife and I are going through a difficult time right now. We're not doing real well. And Mike goes, you know what? Kim and I go through difficult times too. How about we get together for coffee and we just support each other in being great husbands? You want to do that on a regular basis? And from there, it just started. You know, Mike goes, okay, when I'm, when I'm angry and when it's difficult... I find it helpful to pray. You know, you may not believe that God's, that God's real. I do, and he helps me. And the guy, the guy started saying, well, tell me about that. It was just a friend. It was a friend. There was no confrontation. And then he started to learn to pray, and he wasn't even a believer in God yet. And, and long story short, most of that whole block and several blocks around his house are all followers of Christ now from simple, simple friendship and being real about grace. It's the grace of God, the grace of God that attracts people. It's not how well we perform. It's not how much we know. It's what God has done in our life and the, the fact that we know he loves us. You know, there's another way that uh, I want to just kind of highlight briefly about 
uh, uh, just a way of, of helping people experience God because I don't know about you, I'm not the most natural people person and so most of my friends in life have come because I've usually had friends who are really high people persons and they invited me to places and they introduced me to people. Anybody else like that? You get all your friends through somebody else inviting you. Well, the same is true in our, in our, in our faith pursuit in helping people come to faith is we need to help to give them opportunities to introduce them to Jesus himself and experience his presence. And Tim and Tiffany, if you want to come, um, have a really interesting uh, journey that they're on that I think illustrates uh, how this works at times. Uh, about a year ago, Tiffany and I had uh, taken a journey with uh, some youth up to Cleveland uh, for a Jesus Culture Conference. Um, the second day, they had this uh, little evangelism training. Um, as much as I like evangelism, what they did uh, really made us a little nervous and out of our comfort zone. But uh, they told us to, to spend a few minutes, pray, um, ask for pictures, uh, words, um, visions, whatever, whatever God puts on your heart. And then they kicked us out onto the inner city streets of Cleveland uh, to just go talk to people and pray with people on the streets we had never seen before, never met. And uh, she's got a story about that. Um, as I was praying, um, God speaks to me in pictures often. And I got this, I got the word African-American man and then um, the picture of prison stripes on a shirt. And I had a little side conversation with God of, uh, really, you're going to have me go into inner city Cleveland and go up to a black guy and say, have you been in prison, or does prison mean anything to you? Are you trying to get me shot here? Like, I don't know how this is going to work. So I just kind of put it aside and thought, that must have been just me. I was just, you know, I don't know what I was seeing. So we were driving down, and I was in the way back of a van, and we're pulling up to park down in inner city Cleveland, and I see this guy walking by with the same shirt on. And I'm like, get out of the van. i got to get to that guy. That's the guy I'm supposed to pray for. And I pulled him along, and um, so I go up to him, and I said, you know, God showed me a picture of your shirt and told me I was supposed to pray for you. So what do you need prayer for? And he starts taking, you know, all of the bags off and setting and He's like, I, I really need prayer. This is awesome. And so... Um, he said he was really struggling with um, taking care of his daughter who was um, living with her mom, and he really was struggling financially. And so I just started praying for him for that. And in the back of my mind, prison, prison, prison. And I'm going, oh, I don't know if I want to say this. And so I said, well, I don't know. I got this word prison. Does it mean anything to you? You know, it could be that you feel like you're in prison, or maybe that word was for somebody else trying to kind of cushion the blow there. And he said, no, no, no. I just got out of prison three months ago where I met Jesus, and I've been really struggling ever since to walk with him. And I said, well, let's pray about that. So we just started praying, and God gave me really specific words to speak to him about how he was going to take care of his financial need in a way that really would be a testament to him of his love for him. And um, as he was walking away, you know, he gave us huge hugs and huge smile on his face, and you could see the light and load on his shoulders. And um, and that's now spreading into where I work, where there's a real hostile environment. God's just giving me words and times where he comes on so strong with his presence that he tells me to go pray with somebody. And it's neat to watch him just kind of move in my, in my school building as well. Uh, so thankfully she didn't get shot that night. Um, 
But uh, recently, God has uh, directed that back to our lives uh, in, in our life group. We have life group on Friday nights with some college age, uh, some teenagers and stuff. And um, we started going to, uh, we got the idea to go to the fourth Friday in Westerville, where they have lots of people, uh, just an open event. Um, and my uh, little nephew was with us. He's 12 years old here this uh, last time that we went. And um, he begged to go with us. Uh, he was supposed to go home that, that day. And uh, he got to come along. And uh, after some prayer time, he got the word Walmart. And uh, there's, as you know, there's no Walmart in Westerville yet. Um, there, uh, Tiffany had a little side conversation again. You know, God, you know, we're not going by a Walmart. There's no Walmart there. God, please don't let him be disappointed. Uh, before the night was up, it was really cool because they ran into a woman that was protesting the Walmart that's supposed to come to Westerville, and he got to pray with her. Uh, so I, I just, you know, we're not professionals, like you said. You don't have to be professionals or trained. We're just jumping out. Um, something that I, I just want to challenge, I didn't say the first service, but uh, a prayer that you ought to try is, God, give me the opportunity to witness. Give me the opportunity to pray with somebody this week and watch what he does. Thank you. I've known very few people, actually, can you give him that? I've known very few people to refuse prayer. It's just a great opportunity. They feel cared for, and it's a great opportunity to let God touch them. Um, I was uh, not going to do this, but I feel like I should quick, so I'm going to do something quick here that I was going to cut. Um, first, for our invitation to people coming to Christ, um, we're really, we're really looking at an invitation of simply something called repentance. And here's what repentance simply means. It just means something simple. It means we come to the end of our rope, and we realize that I can't do this. I just can't do it on my own. I've got to have God. And if we were to look at this stage as a continuum and say, uh, this is the ultimate brokenness that we could ever have in our life, the ultimate messed upness, screwed upness, however, whatever term you want to use that we could have in our life, and all the way down at the other end of the stage here is, is complete wholeness, the way that I wish my life were, the way that God wanted my life to be. All repentance is, is if we're, if we're headed the wrong way and not letting God choose us, not letting God lead us is simply saying, God, I give up and turning around and facing him. And if you're here today and you've been, you've been questioning whether you should make a, st a commitment to Christ, I know a lot of people who question whether they should follow Christ because they will look at this continuum and they will look in the church and they'll say, there are so many messed up people there. I, my life is better off than theirs. Why should I go to that church? If Christ can't make their life better than mine, why should I go there? And you see, that's a, that's a misnomer because the reality is some people's lives have been so devastated by abuse and by all sorts of things in their life that their brokenness level is here and they just simply turn and God accepts them. God loves them here as though he would love them there and your life may not have been that devastated and maybe you're coming in and you're here and you're looking at all the people down there going if God only makes that much difference and you're looking at it wrong all he wants you to do is wherever you're at to turn and to let him change your life just as he's changing their lives 
And as we read the Bible, and a lot of the problems we have with the Bible is the problem that we read it as the man's story, and we read it as comparing the life of David and, or people like that, and we look at David and we say, he was so messed up, why would I want to be like that? He was a terrible dad. He was a terrible husband. He was an adulterer. Why would I want to be like that? And, and when we read it as man's story, we have arguments. But when we read it as God's story and see that God was so pleased with him simply because David learned to live in this turned around posture. And yes, his life may be more screwed up than yours is. But the story is God's story, not David's story. And the story God wants to write over your life is his story, not your story, not the story of your family history, not the story of the abuse you've received in work or some other place. It's the story that he wants to write over your life of helping you just take steps towards wholeness. And part of that story, part of that joy for him is he's inviting us today to join him in that mission, to be friends with people and walk in walk with them in this journey. You know, can you imagine how much different it would be if we look at people as friends rather than antagonists when it comes to faith? We've lived too much of our life in, an, in a society where TV and politics and everybody draws these lines and sands and labels people and makes everything about argument. What if we lived life as friends? What if we lived life assuming even our enemies could be our friends? How does that change the way we feel and think about being a witness for God and what it means to be a witness for God? You know, this dream, this dream of helping people's lives become more whole, of moving from here to there, is what the church is all about. And quite frankly, if we have a whole bunch of people over here, that means we're being really successful because God came for the sick and the lost and the hurting to turn their lives around. And if the ushers could come, we're going to receive our offering. But when you give, you give to that mission. And I'm asking you today not only to give monetarily because the money is used and it's making a difference in people's lives. It's vital for us to do this together. But I'm asking you to pray the prayer Tim asked you to pray this week. To not just give your money, but to give your, give your life. To give your prayer to say, God, who today can I just touch and ask, how is it really going today? How are you really doing today? And maybe have an opportunity to pray. Just simple. Just be kind. Be a friend and see how God shows up. Lord, I pray that you would be at work in us this week. Thank you for allowing us to give. Thank you for what you're doing through us as Quest. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would learn to give our lives in a way that allows you to show up as a friend that allows us to introduce you as a friend to many people. In Jesus' name, amen. Bella.